Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Ben Levno from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test and focus interview. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today, we'll be discussing the pediatric autoimmune encephalopathy slash CNS disorder evaluation with Dr. Andrew McKeown. But before we get started, Dr. McKeown, thanks for joining us today. Could you tell us a little about yourself and your background? Sure. I am a director of the neuroimmunology lab at Mayo Clinic. Uh, I'm also a practicing neurologist, and I spend my time either seeing patients or doing reporting on tests in the laboratory or developing new tests for patient care. And I also do some research uh, to discover new biomarkers of autoimmune diseases. Thanks, Dr. McKeown. I think all of that will come into play during our conversation today. We're going to talk about a unique test to Mayo Clinic. The Pediatric Autoimmune CNS Evaluation was launched back in 2020, but we're really trying to increase awareness of what we think is a really important evaluation. So to begin, Dr. McKeown, can you just give us a little understanding of this disease state? Why a tailored evaluation for pediatric patients is important? Over the years, there have been a number of autoantibodies discovered for a variety of different autoimmune neurologic diseases. And that number has grown quite a lot in the last decade. That has been great for the field, but it also has led to some logistical considerations because some of these antibody tests are not pertinent to children. And so these are in particular in relation to antibodies that are related to a lot of the paraneoplastic disorders that occur with say small cell lung cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. So these antibodies have not been reported in children or in teenagers. So this led to some concern for ourselves, but also among some child neurologists, pediatric neurologists. And so we elected to make the change that we would develop an evaluation pertinent to central nervous system disease in children of an autoimmune nature and that we would just trim it down to those relevant biomarkers in serum and spinal fluid. Right. That's an important distinction as we'll get into with some of the antibodies that are included. Just backing up a little bit further to the patient presentation, what makes it more challenging to diagnose a pediatric autoimmune neurological disorder? How does it look different than an adult? For some patients, it may, they may be fairly similar presentations in that it may be a very obvious encephalopathy with neurological symptoms of cognitive change, seizures mixed with psychiatric symptoms. But for some children, say uh, young children with NMDA receptor encephalitis, the presentation may be sudden behavioral change. And that might be the only manifestation. So that might be a difference between children and adults. Okay. So it's not necessarily that the patient presentation looks that much different. It's just that the antibodies that we need to evaluate are different. And that's why we have the tailored evaluation. Is that accurate? That's largely true, though there are some emphases in terms of other antibodies. For example, MOG antibody is very important for ADEM or acute disseminated encephalomyelitis in children. In adults, the ADEM could be a presentation as well, but would be more commonly optic neuritis or myelitis. 
So there are some differences in terms of how children present with different antibodies at different stages of life. Perfect, Dr. McKeown. Last question on the patient population is just how common are these types of disorders? Are pediatric patients often seen with these sorts of presentations or is it pretty rare? These are increasingly recognized and are more and more commonly uh, seen in clinics and diagnosed now because of the availability of these biomarkers. They may have something comparable to infectious encephalitis and maybe even a little bit more common than infectious encephalitis based on epidemiologic studies. Okay, great. Now I want to shift our focus to the assay itself. You've highlighted some of the differences. We're not including as many of the perineoplastic antibodies. Can you go into any more detail about how our assay for adults is different than the one in pediatrics? There are some antibodies like uh, PCA1 antibody and CRIM5 antibody that we don't encounter in children. Those aren't included in the pediatric evaluation, whereas in the pediatric evaluation, we do include MOG antibody, whereas at the current time, we don't include that in the adult evaluation. And I think I've heard you mention that there is one traditional perineoplastic antibody, ANA1. That's the one that we do evaluate in both children and adults because sometimes it has been seen in the literature. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So the ones that are retained um, include ANA1 or also known as anti-HU. And this is an antibody that is important in, in both adults and children. So in children, the patients may present with a variety of different problems, including oxyclonus, myoclonus syndrome in the setting of neuroblastoma, whereas in an adulthood, the, the patients tend to have small cell carcinoma or other neuroendocrine tumors. I think it's relevant to mention here that this evaluation is part of our broader phenotype-specific approach that Mayo Clinic Laboratories is leading to kind of change the way testing is done in this field. And we're basing the decision on which antibodies are included and not included based on the patients that you personally are seeing in the clinic, as well as our research to validate this testing methodology. Is that a fair statement, Dr. McKeown? Yes. In general, we're recognizing that there are just a lot of antibody biomarkers, and it seems to be in the interests of the patients and also for their doctors so they can keep it all straight because it's quite a complex field that we have evaluations on the basis of what is coming into the clinic and then ordering on that basis. Great. My next question, I guess, does go back to how the patients present. Can you give our listeners an idea of what patients this kind of testing would be appropriate for? What symptoms do they present with? This is central nervous system disease, so it could be subacute onset brain syndrome, such as an encephalopathy. So subacute meaning onset over days to weeks. Uh, so not hyperacute like a stroke and not insidious like a degenerative disease. Seizures, neuropsychiatric presentations, could be brainstem encephalitis in some situations, oxyclonus, myoclonus syndrome, features of a subacute onset myelopathy, optic neuritis. That's perfect, Dr. McKeown. And these patients are very sick generally. So this testing is ordered pretty soon in the differential diagnosis. Or would there be other considerations that a physician should make before they would move to antibody testing? Well, I think a lot of it is based on, on the history and then maybe trying to look for other clues, such as is it a classical syndrome or a syndrome that will be compatible, although that's not always entirely reliable. Uh, if the patient is undergoing 
other evaluations than MRI, EEG, spinal fluid can present clues such as an inflammatory looking MRI scan, um, elevated white cell count or oligoclonal bands or IgG index in the, sp in the spinal fluid. And then sometimes uh, new onset seizures that are visible on the EEG, but not generalized seizures. These are localization related problems, so focal seizures, sometimes multifocal. Right. Yeah, clinical context is paramount. Are there any other disorders that mimic these autoimmune disorders that physicians should be particularly concerned about as they work through the differential? I think infectious encephalitis uh, would be one for children, metabolic diseases of one type or another, including mitochondrial diseases, where, such as MELAS, where patients could present with subacute encephalopathy that could wax and wane like an autoimmune disease. Obviously, this testing is used to help physicians provide better patient care. So what do the results of this testing mean for next steps for the physician or the patient? If the testing has been drawn, the serum and spinal fluid has been, has been drawn for this patient, and that there's a high level of suspicion for neurologic autoimmunity, then uh, trials of immunotherapy are reasonable to do once kind of competing diagnoses have been excluded. And then if the, when the antibody test results come back, if, if it's a positive result and gives a name to the, to the disorder, then that may give guidance as to more specifics around the type of immunotherapy, the duration of immunotherapy to use, and also in some circumstances, what neoplasm to look for. So for NMDA receptor encephalitis, looking for teratoma is important. And neuroblastoma in the setting of ANO1. Great. Those are great examples, Dr. McKeown. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about some of those antibodies. You mentioned a few of them. What are the most critical antibodies to make sure that we evaluate in this population? The more common ones would include NMDA receptor antibody. GAD65 antibody is another one that's very common. GFAP antibody as well, autoimmune GFAP astrocytopathy. One antibody that we don't offer at the current time, but that we have a test development that's important as well as GABA-A receptor antibody. But we're hoping to offer that in, in coming times. Right. And I think you mentioned this. Let's go kind of in order. NMDA, that is most readily detected in CSF. So it's important that physicians are sending both serum and CSF samples to evaluate these critical antibodies, right? Yes, that's correct. And then you also, I think, mentioned MOG. What specimen type is that antibody most readily detected? Uh, so the specimen type we're using at the current time for detecting MOG is serum exclusively. Aquaporin 4 antibody is also readily detected in the serum, whereas NMDA receptor antibody and GFAP antibody in the CSF. Right. So these are really important antibodies that show up in different specimen types. So we need to make sure that we get both samples. Yes. What would you say, Dr. McKeown, would be the repercussions of not using a, a tailored evaluation? You mentioned that, you know, we've removed some antibodies that aren't as relevant. What would it mean for a physician that orders an adult evaluation? Could they receive confusing results? It, it could delay the diagnosis, maybe one or both of those. What, what would it mean if they don't take the tailored approach? Well, the main thing is that one would be ordering a number of tests that the patient doesn't need. That would be the main thing, I think. So we're trying to avoid misuse of, of tests. And so that would be, the, I think, the main thing from my perspective, because there's always the odd case that could occur, you know, 
that you could never, you might never predict as far as, well, we have actually reported PCA1 in one child, but this was a very unique situation of a patient with a very unusual immunologic background who got a very unusual cancer for that age group. So, but we didn't include it in the, in the, in the profile. So of course, it could happen that we might identify some unusual antibody that's not in the profile in a child, but we have the opportunity to detect those behind the scenes because we detect all of the ones that we have left out of the pro for children. We still detect on indirect immunofluorescence on by tissue, so that picks up all of these antibodies, the ones relevant to children and to adults. So if we happen to see one of those antibodies, we can always contact the provider and say, look, you know, we, we actually might want to just order up one of the adult evaluations so we can report out this extremely rare antibody. But when we came to kind of constructing this profile, you know, we, we based it on years and years of data and just not having seen these antibodies coming up. Great, Dr. McKeon. That reminds me of another point that we haven't discussed yet, that since our lab is a research laboratory, not only are we reporting out some of those antibodies that you mentioned, but if we see any patterns, we use those in our research to build our future evaluations and also reach out to the physicians. Is that right? Correct. What we do is if we identify one of these novel patterns of antibody staining on the indirect immunofluorescence, we will be able to say confidently that this is an antibody that binds to nervous system tissue and not other tissue types. We wouldn't know really anything more than that. And so we try to reach out to the physician or sometimes they would contact us because they get a negative result. And either way, we would say, well, you know, this could be consistent with an autoimmune disorder in the right clinical context and having excluded other possibilities. It may be worth generally searching for a tumor, even in a child, though less commonly we see paraneoplastic causes in children. More commonly we see those in adults. And thirdly, trials of immune therapy should be considered uh, in, in the right context. Great. I think that's a great resource for our listeners and, and physicians that order testing from us. The other point that I wanted to ask about related to the benefits of a tailored evaluation would be turnaround time. Dr. McKeown, when we talk about the severity of these cases, having a tailored evaluation probably makes the results come back faster, and that can aid a physician in providing or at least having the confidence they need to take that patient down a treatment path? Right. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, combining it with other information like the, you know, the subacute onset, you know, a couple of other findings, not one specific thing, might be an abnormal CSF, abnormal MRI, abnormal EEG, you know, some particular finding on the exam. But no one uh, test is kind of perfect for helping you screen for those cases. You know, so there are many patients with autoimmune neurologic diagnosis that have antibody positivity in our lab where the spinal fluid is otherwise completely normal, or they may just have a very slightly elevated protein, which is nonspecific. Right. These are complex cases, and hopefully the antibody testing can help make the puzzle more complete for the physician to increase their confidence. So those are all the questions I had, Dr. McKeown. I just was wondering if there's any other key takeaways that you want to share with physicians to help them understand the importance of this evaluation, how it can be used in their clinical practice. Sure. I think in summary, I'd say that the pediatric central nervous system evaluations in serum and spinal fluid for autoimmune central nervous system disease are an opportunity for people working in the 
child neurology space to order tailored profiles for uh, the pediatric population. Great. Excited to get the word out and uh, help physicians care for these important patients. So thanks for your time today, Dr. McKeown. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. Thank you.